Welcome to Skin Depth Convo. I'm Anna Kagarakis. This is a show focused on educating and inspiring all those in the skincare and beauty industry. Now, today on the show, we discuss myths in cosmetic chemistry with Kelly Dobos, a consultant cosmetic chemist and instructor at the University of Toledo. Why are preservatives added in products? And we learn also about organic and natural products their myths as well. But before we bring on Kelly, let's welcome in our expert host, part of the founders of Lear Clinical, Metaxia Delicas, and Francine Kagaragis. You know, you both are chemically cohesive. You work well together. <laughs> the yin and the yang? Yes, we are. Opposites. <laughs> I was actually thinking, actually, today, well, what kind of chemistry reaction would you two be? Like, do you have any certain kind of chemical bond? Yeah, salad dressing. <laughs> Oil and water. <laughs> I have to More agree oil with that. vinegar, right? Water I'm the vinegar. I'm the vinegar. Yeah, yeah. She's the vinegar. I'm the oil. Slow I, and steady. Yeah, and spicy and hot. There you go. We can't be the same, and that's what makes it cool. We have to have our differences, and we have to come to an agreement. There's four of us, so it's not just Fran and I. It's there's four of us coming to that agreement. What makes it really cool is that our hearts in the right place. We could agree to disagree. We could agree to have voice our opinions, and I think that's what makes it special. It does. And the nice part about it is, first of all, it is enjoyable. We have a great team. Mm -hmm. And to work with my sister is a lot of fun. And we're able to say what we need to say and go back to work. It's sad, though. The one thing sad. I start a sentence or you start a sentence and we finish each other's sentence. So sometimes you see that, you know, we're thinking very similar. No, the worst is when we do a presentation and we're right in the middle of doing a presentation. We both jump in because we <laughs> both have that passion. And the nice part about it is for the audience, we have two different views. So they're able to see two different philosophies. So I like that. You're kind of that salad dressing of a bunch of different flavors, but they work really well together. Doesn't yes. it taste good? It does. It tastes phenomenal. Don't you remember when you've had a good salad dressing and thought, wow, I want the recipe? Oh, yeah. It makes a salad. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just lettuce. Yes. Right? Yes. So you really amp up that lettuce. I know lots of salad talk going on, but let's actually talk about skincare right now and getting into myths in, in the skincare industry. But first, I kind of want to talk about something interesting in news. So words matter, especially now in advertising and social media. And one of the biggest trends and subject matters in skincare is anti-aging products. But there was an interesting tweet that Kelly, our guest who's coming on just a little bit, she retweeted a tweet from a product developer named Tara Cohen. Here's the tweet. How much better would it feel to walk into a store and face a wall full of beauty products that read as useful for authentic aging instead of anti-aging? With a simple shift in language, we can gain a boost of confidence and empowerment. So what are your thoughts on using the term authentic aging over anti-aging? I love that idea for the reason is that there's nothing wrong with aging. And I think there was a stereotype of when you were you reached a certain age, you were aging, you had limitations of what you could do. We have turned that around. Uh, our lifestyles have changed. Our skincare has changed. But you see our health consciousness is part of now the whole process. It's how you look good, feel good, eat good, exercise. All that matters. And I think authentic aging, being happy that we're reaching a certain age and looking the best at our age, I think that's really important. But you can't tell aging anymore. I mean, I, you can look at a 30-year-old and and you can look at a 60-year-old and really see very little differences in their skin or their aging. You, you see less wrinkles, you see less pigment, you see elasticity there. You know, not a loss of elasticity, but really tight skin. Again, for us, I think aging gracefully, but no aging 
smarter, younger, healthier is where I think that coin should be. And I definitely agree with authentic aging. I think it's really cool. I kind of agree. Anti is against. And we're not against aging. Mm -mm. We are about enjoying and learning. We're seasoned when we get older. We know more. We're able to calm down and see the world the way it needs to be seen. And when we talk about authentic, we're talking about real people. You're seeing the filters are coming off social media. You're seeing the advertising. Everything is more real. So it's not aging. It's actually being who you are at all ages. All of our hearts and souls are young. All of us. Inside of us, we're all we're always going to be young. And all we have to do is, like Metaxi said, eat better, exercise more. When I say exercise, even just walking. Something mm-hmm. as simple as just walking and your attitude. So that's being authentically you, being proud of who you are, and going out there and being healthier so you will look a lot better. So we are authentic. And putting topical products on your skin helps because the environment's difficult. Stress is very difficult. So when we put products on the skin, we're dealing with inflammation. We're dealing with antioxidants. We're dealing with all the elements. So we actually repair the skin and bring it back to where it is. So we're authentic. Yeah, And as we get older, you know, we experience more in life, which makes us, you know, it brings on wisdom. And that's something that you're happy to get as you get older. But it's a good thing to age and have more experience. But now with science, it's not that we're aging slower, it's just that we, we are looking better and we're learning more about how to be healthy, how to take care of our bodies inside out. It all comes out, we all look beautiful as we get older. It's not the products that we used 20, 30 years ago. It's changed. You know, the technology has given us opportunities to deliver products deeper, to stimulate collagen and elastin, which we didn't do. It's not just putting a heavy cream on and hoping that your skin get hydrated. The sophistication of skincare has taken us to a different level. And I think less is best, but yet again, not these crazy faceless where you could see somebody walking down the street. No, no, you got to say the story that you normally which say. One? Not your mama's jeans. Oh, I love that part. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I went to a store it said not your mother's jeans I says what is that there was a look that people would relate to when somebody had jeans on their older older women had jeans on I'm thinking what's the difference and it is a certain look and you know our same thing it's not your mother's skincare it's not your grandmother's skincare it's today's skincare and everybody could benefit from it from young to old it's not generational anymore it's really today's sophistication of what we're doing how we're dressing you have 70 year olds dressing just as young as 30 and 40 year olds so it's not that you look an age you act an age you're ageless and that's what we're looking for we're ageless we're authentic to yourself and the big key is feeling good inside so it does shine outside and all we do is polish it yeah i could still go and play kickball if i want to that's right you know i could still go out there and do all the fun stuff that i did i was younger maybe i have a little more aches and pains now but i could still have fun and enjoy life and i don't think when you get to a certain age you have to act a certain way so we don't have to look a certain way no we can be who we want to be Be you authentic i love it authentic aging i love that i want to use that hashtag all over the place and i'm really excited to talk to kelly about this as well want to get her take but for right now before we get to that interview with kelly how about a word from lyric clinical Lyric Clinical takes today's skincare to the next level. Using cutting-edge technology and the best high-quality ingredients, Lyric gives you brighter, healthier, younger-looking skin. With award-winning products, advanced education, and innovative skincare philosophies, Lyric Clinical is redefining aesthetics and offering superior products and treatments that produce remarkable results. It's beauty from the inside out. Be bright, be beautiful, Lyric Clinical. With more than 20 years of developing both skincare and color cosmetic formulations, Kelly Dobos is a consultant, cosmetic chemist, and an instructor at the University of Toledo. 
She's part of the American Chemical Society's expert panel, and you could also find her expert articles in publications like Allure and New Beauty magazines, as well as news publications like NPR, The Atlantic, and The Washington Post. Kelly, is there anything you don't do? <laughs> <laughs> I try to keep myself busy. <laughs> you definitely do, and we're really excited to bring you on today to talk about myths in the industry, but before we talk about that, let's get to know you first. How did you get into cosmetic chemistry and what drew you to that profession? Well, you know, I think for me, my story is a little little different. I started about 20 years ago and I didn't know there was such a thing as, as cosmetic chemistry. I was just finishing my undergraduate degree and thinking about going back to school for forensic science, actually. But like most students getting out of college, I wanted to, to start working and, and find a job to pay my student loans. I worked as a technician for several years and realized I loved the work and the field and, you know, the opportunity to, even if it's, I say this, you know, I worked making hand sanitizer, I've made lip gloss um, with all of those products. I have the opportunity to make consumers day a little bit better, a little bit brighter. And that really, you know, that's something that really motivates me. Plus I, I love cosmetics myself. So it, it's quite a fun job for me. It is very nice having you here today with us, and we're so excited to go over a lot of the myths that are in our industry. Kelly, we're really excited to have you on this podcast and bring some of your expertise in the cosmetic industry. I look forward to talking about the career that I love. So Kelly, take us through your career journey. Where did you start and where are you now? I started, my first career in the cosmetics industry was with Bonnie Bell, which was the manufacturer of the famous Lip Smacker. They were flavored lip balms. I really think about how much fun that job was because we got to create so many new flavors and color combinations during that time. I also ate a lot of lip gloss because of course we had to taste everything. <laughs> so if you want to know how safe cosmetics are, many, sometimes you can even eat them. But it was a very fun experience and Bonnie Bell sold the brand. And uh, from there, I went to work for a company that makes Purell. So I worked for Purell hand sanitizer for a while. I have a few patents on those types of formulations and that's where I got inspired thinking about the microbiome for my master's research. And then I worked for uh, Cal USA for a while on the Jergens brand of lotions. So kind of a, a diverse experience in the industry. And during all that time, I also got my master's in pharmaceutical science with concentration in cosmetic science and my master's in business as well, because uh, the cosmetics industry is very marketing driven. So I thought it would be beneficial to learn about how cosmetics are marketed and sold as well. So it's been a very diverse career for me. What is your specialty in cosmetic chemistry? Skincare and, and color cosmetics are my two primary areas of expertise. I think cosmetic science, if you talk to any cosmetic chemist, is really a multidisciplinary field. So you have to know, you know, chemistry. You also have to know biology, physiology. So it's, I'd say, even though, you know, I specialize in skincare and color cosmetics, um, you have to be a a master of many different areas of, of science. And you actually focus in college also on the microbiome. Is that something that you work particularly on? Yeah. In my master's research, I studied the skin microbiome. The human microbiome project was just starting to turn out lots of data at the time. And we were thinking about how do cosmetics impact the microbiome in terms of, you know, favorable and unfavorable organisms, you know, the things we put on our skin, are they helping those good organisms grow or bad? And I was really intrigued by some of those thoughts. And during my research, I learned that it, it's not so simple. It's really, there's complicated relationships between our skin microbes and our skin health. 
And I think it's going to be uh, an emerging area of importance in the future of cosmetic science. When it comes to the microbiome, what are your thoughts on pre and probiotics? So we're looking today at a lot of ingredients that are what we call prebiotics or postbiotics because probiotics, which are defined as live bacteria that confer a health benefit to the host, they're a little bit more challenging to try and incorporate into a cosmetic. For example, you'd have to, you know, you refrigerate yogurt, right? You may not want to refrigerate your, your cosmetic. And you also don't know how to prevent sometimes the bad bacteria from growing and let the, the good ones grow. So we focus on those two other ends of the spectrum. The prebiotics are ingredients that support or their food for the, the good microbes. And then the postbiotics, which are things like if you see a bacterial lysate on a label. And basically what that means is they broke open the bacterial cell wall. The bacteria is no longer alive, but those little bits of the bacterial cell wall can still elicit immune response from the skin. They help educate the skin's immune system. So we're using those types of materials as well to affect the skin microbiome and balance. Would that be considered a little more of a cultured probiotic? They, like I said, they're basically lysates. So they're just, for lack of a better term, I said that they've ruptured the cell wall. They, they're broken apart. They're little bits of microbes. We look to microbes that we're familiar with. So lactobacillus, which is the same type of microbe used to make yogurts and cheeses and things of that nature. So friendly bacteria that, we're, that we know are, are good for the skin. One of the other things we want to talk about, obviously we brought you on to talk about myths in the industry because there are so many articles out there about this is bad for you. There's so many conflicting opinions about it. So we kind of wanted to get your expertise on this. So the first myth we want to ask you is consumers are nervous about putting chemicals on their body, but are chemical-free claims legitimate? No. <laughs> so everything is a chemical, right? Water is a chemical. The air we breathe is a chemical. I think the word chemical has gotten kind of a, a bad connotation, something that is synthetic, right? Man-made, but natural materials are chemicals as well. So there's no truth to a product being chemical-free. One of my professors in college would joke that would be very expensive packaging if it was <laughs> chemical-free because it would have to be a vacuum to have absolutely no chemicals in a product. So even natural materials are made up of chemicals. Safety is all about the principles of toxicology and, you know, dose and response. So it's more than just, is it natural or a synthetic chemical? True or false? If you don't know or can't pronounce an ingredient on an ingredient deck, it probably isn't good for you. <laughs> that is definitely a myth. The ingredient names we have for chemicals, especially for cosmetics, there's a systematic naming system. And often those names tell us something about the structure of the molecule. So sometimes we're lucky and they've given a, a chemical has a common name like glycerin, for example, or ethanol, which are pretty recognizable and easy. But sometimes they're going to follow some rules in giving a name. For example, New Vegan Collagen, I believe, has a, a name of SH polypeptide 121. And all of those letters and numbers mean something. They tell us something about the molecule. So just because you can't pronounce it doesn't mean that it's bad for you. That name is intended to tell us something about the structure of the material. Okay, Kelly, one of the biggest trends is natural and organic products. Is this true that natural products are better for you? That's a, another myth in the industry is that natural means better. And there's several reasons that natural 
products could be detrimental as well. There are often uh, sources of allergens. Fragrance components, for example, or essential oils are one of the biggest sources of allergenic reactions to cosmetic products. But also sometimes natural materials, the sourcing can be an issue with sustainability. So it might take, you know, thousands of pounds of a natural material to produce just a small amount of the ingredient that goes into cosmetics. So in many ways, natural is not always better. Synthetic materials, again, I'll talk about vegan collagen, you know, we're using microbes to make vegan collagen. You're not having to rely on animals because most collagen source comes from pigs or fish that's used in cosmetics. But we're able to, with the beauty of science, create vegan collagen. True or false? Are parabens dangerous? Parabens are not dangerous. Um, there's a lot of misinformation about parabens that continues to be perpetuated. And I think it's, it's really unfortunate because parabens are really good preservatives. It is part of a cosmetic manufacturer's responsibility to ensure that a product is safe throughout the lifetime of use by a consumer. And that means a skin cream that you might have for two years in your bathroom, that product needs to be free from dangerous microbes throughout that whole two years. Parabens are helpful in preventing that microbial growth. And because they've kind of gotten this bad reputation, nobody is able to really use them anymore. And we're left with uh, less and less choice in preserving products. There was a publication where parabens were found in breast cancer tumors. However, it was just that they found them. It wasn't that they definitively made a determination that is what caused them. There was no control group in the study, which was problematic as well. And in fact, the author of that study had even put out a statement saying that he did not intend for the article to be construed as saying that parabens were the cause of cancer. So I think you can also look to the Cosmetic Ingredient Review, which is an independent panel of toxicologists, scientists, and medical doctors who have put together a report on the toxicology of parabens and have confirmed their safe use as intended in cosmetics. And I think that's important to look at too, is that that panel of doctors and, and scientists have agreed that parabens are safe. The next myth, the FDA largely does not regulate cosmetics. True or false? That is false. The FDA does regulate cosmetics. I think it's a, a big misconception that the FDA is hands-off with cosmetic regulation, but the regulation is fairly broad. It basically says that the manufacturer and marketer of the cosmetics is responsible for ensuring the safety of the product. So responsible manufacturers of cosmetics have teams of, again, scientists and toxicologists working to do testing and ensure a product is safe before it goes on to the market. So the FDA does watch. They are regulating cosmetics, but it's the manufacturer. They put the responsibility on the manufacturer. And any manufacturer of cosmetics does not want to harm consumers, so they're very responsible about that. And the FDA also does have processes and procedures to help companies understand what those safety protocols are. And it's not just the FDA regulating cosmetics. Cosmetics are also regulated under the Fair Packaging and Labeling Act. There are EPA regulations that affect cosmetics, and there are also state regulations. There are a lot of different regulations impact safety of cosmetics. 
And the labs also have to be GMP, good manufacturing practices. This is another way that we have to make sure there is regulation involved. Absolutely. And it's your your large companies have the, the staff who are looking at these areas of safety. You know, it's someone making cosmetics in their garage that I would be concerned that they aren't, you know, necessarily taking the care to ensure that they're doing microbial testing and things of that nature. Well, we uh, and Lyra here had to interview many labs to see which one we would actually work with. And that was one of the, the first question is if they were regulated. And that was really important for us because like you said, it has to have the guidelines and the regulations to keep the products pure. We are looking for that when we're looking for labs. Absolutely. Yes. There's policies and procedures and there's a lot, a lot of effort that goes into that. So I think it's a, a pretty big myth that the FDA does not, uh, because you can also look to the FDA's website. They do issue warning letters to cosmetic companies for, you know, microbial contamination or uh, failures of inspections of their facilities and, you know, if, and for making false claims. I can tell you, I've heard that the labs get these surprise visits and stop the production and do a surprise visit to these labs to be sure that they were not warned about checking on them. Yes, I have been part of FDA inspections. They show up unannounced. That's part of ensuring that you you don't have time to, right. of course, you know, hide anything from them. They want to not necessarily surprise you, but they want to ensure that things are always running as they should. Which makes the consumer feel better as well, because it makes you think, okay, I know that the product I'm receiving has been tested, goes through the proper channels to make sure that if I'm putting something on my face, it's not going to be an expired product with all, you know, bacteria, microbials, all kinds of issues, because there are people out there that may have really bad reactions to a product if it is something that has like some type of microbial in it. Absolutely. And like I said, a, a manufacturer of cosmetic knows that if, if something like that does happen, that their reputation is at stake. So they're very careful about ensuring safety of their products. That goes for other countries also, because you have all your documents as you go into different countries and go into their regulatory process to make sure all that documentation is prepared ahead of time. Absolutely. The European Union um, has a bit of a more formalized process in that every product has to have its own dossier prepared in advance. And so if a company is selling a product globally, you can be rest assured that they've met that requirement as well. Multiple requirements. <laughs> we found multiple requirements, multiple documentations. Every country is a little bit different. And stricter and even ingredients. There's a lot of detail in the ingredient itself. So there's a lot of times there's multiple preservatives in a product. Am I correct? Correct. And that's because each preservative is effective against a different type of organism, right? So we've got bacteria and we've got two main classes, gram negative and gram positive. And they're both different in their, their cell wall structure and how easy they are to kill or inactivate. And then you've got yeast and molds as well. So you've got different types of organisms and you need different types of preservatives to handle them. And then even get more complicated, not all preservatives work in the same pH range. So if you have a very low pH product, you might have to use a different preservative than a, a pH neutral product. So there's different considerations if I have a water and oil emulsion versus an oil and water emulsion. So there's a lot of different thoughts that go into the process of selecting your preservative package. And there's also micro testing. Right. So and when a product is being developed, 
we're going to uh, test the product itself to ensure that it, when we make it, it's not, that it is not incredibly contaminated. We're also going to do something called preservative efficacy testing, which is a way that we emulate consumer use by inoculating. So adding bacteria to the product and seeing how long it takes for that count of bacteria to be knocked down. Kind of simulating if you had a tub of a body cream that you put your hands into to scoop some out, you're putting bacteria in every time. We test with that preservative efficacy method to show over the lifetime of consumer use that the product is still going to remain safe. Isn't there additional regulations when you do drug facts on a label, for example? We have additional testing that we have to do. Can you explain a little bit about that? Sure. So there's the FDA defines cosmetics as something that is for cleansing or beautifying or promoting attractiveness. A drug product is something that is going to treat or mitigate or prevent disease. And there are products that can be both a cosmetic and a drug at the same time. And when you have that combination, and you have to follow rules for both. And those OTC drug products, for example, a sunscreen or a toothpaste with fluoride, you have to follow a monograph that the FDA has kind of put together. I like to call it a bit of a recipe. It tells you what ingredients you can use to make the claims. It tells you percentages of the ingredients and how to test to prove efficacy. So those products have to have known efficacy. And they also have to be easy enough for a consumer to understand in usage that a consumer can self-select them and use them without a prescription. So that's kind of the difference between what an OTC drug is versus a prescription drug. And that sort of brings us to sunscreens because we're coming towards the end of summer right now, but you need to wear sunscreen all the time, all year round. And there are different regulations around the world. And Europe has, I've heard, has a few more ingredients. And could you give us a little update on that? Sure. So when it comes to the sunscreen active ingredients, this, the ingredients that are you know, doing the work to protect you from the sun, in the United States, we have about 16 that we are able to use that are listed in that monograph. In Europe and in other countries, for example, Australia, you're closer to 30 different materials we can use. And when it comes to those ingredients that are available in the European Union, a lot of them are better UVA blockers than we have here in the United States. We have one, two good UVA blockers, zinc oxide and avobenzone. Zinc oxide being what people sometimes refer to as a mineral filter and avobenzone being a a chemical filter. But when the monograph was first put together with the FDA here in the United States, there was less of an understanding of the effects of UVA. We now know that it's a deeper penetrating ray, that it is involved in not only accelerated skin aging, but the etiology of some skin cancers. And unfortunately, the FDA has not been very quick in approving some of these newer sunscreens that are better at UVA blockage that are available in the European Union. It was supposed to be a faster process because we have, they had some data from the European Union these products have been on the market. But unfortunately, one example of that process, one material has been being looked at for about 17 years. So unfortunately, it has not been a fast process to get those materials approved. You currently teach a course on color cosmetics at the University of Toledo. What is color cosmetics? 
So color cosmetics, sometimes people refer to them as decorative cosmetics as well. It's anything that is promoting attractiveness or, or beautifying the skin. But we see a lot of crossover today in the use of pigments and now in tinted sunscreens, BB creams, and cosmetic uh, color cosmetics that also have skincare benefits. So I think historically, they've always been people called decorative products. But I think there's a real blurring between cosmetics and skincare products today. These materials use all the pigments and the dyes that are available in, in the cosmetics industry. What is new and exciting when it comes to adding color in products? We're seeing a lot of metallics and what we call effect pigments that are being used in the cosmetics industry. So things like synthetic fluorophlogopite, which is a, a bit of a mouthful uh, <laughs> when, we talk, when we talk about chemicals that are hard to pronounce but it is synthetic mica. So natural mica is a, a mined mineral, but we know there are some issues with sourcing of mica. It's not always as clean from a heavy metals perspective compared to synthetic mica. So we're seeing a lot of innovation in these, these substrates for sparkle and effect in cosmetics, which are you know, kind of fun to play with sometimes. And I think as we're coming out of pandemic, we're seeing people look towards a little more glitter, a little more metallic uh, to have fun with their, their looks in color cosmetics. I think they called it donut or glazing, where they have that, that <laughs> yeah. shimmer on their skin. Glazed donut skin. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the, the TikTok trends. trends. <laughs> the trends move faster and faster. The, when I started in the industry color trends, we kind of forecasted from European runways. This is, you know, 20 years ago, but now things happen, you know, on social media faster and faster. So very, very much quicker turnaround on the color trends now. You said that the trends come out of the EU or how about South Korea? Any trends from there? We do see, um, so color trends, like I said, used to come, we used to watch the runways to, to look at the color trends for cosmetics. But now we're seeing trends from the K-beauty trend was quite big for a while. J-beauty, so trends from Japanese beauty. There's just, I think, a greater globalization of products today. And so we're seeing different bits and pieces. So you can select your beauty care routine from all of these different types of products, which I think is great because all of our skin is a little bit different, right? And what we, our climate, where we live is a little bit different and our preference for the way, what we like, how it feels, it can be a little bit different. So you can really kind of pick and choose all these little parts to create your own skincare routine. What about natural color ingredients? What are some good natural color ingredients that you've worked with? So there's just a few natural colorants that we're, we have available for use in, in color cosmetics. But one of the most interesting I find is carmine. And it is derived from a, a beetle, primarily from Peru today is where it's sourced from. And it's a beautiful bright red color, very unique. And it's also used in, in the food industry as well. But we're seeing synthetic replacements developed for it. I mentioned earlier vegan collagen where bacteria are being used to synthesize the collagen because the animal sourcing of the carmine may not be desirable. We're seeing research labs look to develop ways that they can manufacture synthetic carmine using microbes as well. So I think it's a really interesting new technology coming that we might see in cosmetics in the future. A lot of consumers are looking for cruelty-free yeah, products. Absolutely. So yes, 
Well, even like you had posted up some article also about like vegan honey, which I find very fascinating, especially because of the bee population decreasing. And I know that's something really important to me, but seeing different, different vegan alternatives that they're working on in labs, it, it could be great for sustainability down the road. Yeah, I think biotechnology, they're calling it the fourth industrial revolution. And I think we're going to see, like I said, we're just starting to see some of these ingredients that are made this way move into the consumer market. And so I think it, we're going to continue to see a lot of growth in that area because some of these processes are are more sustainable, cruelty-free. So a lot of a lot of innovation. And again, I always like to say it's the beauty of science, you know, in cosmetics. I was going to say, kind of just following up on that, you know, as an independent consultant in the industry, you're, you know, obviously well-versed in raw materials, regulations in the U.S. and different parts of the world. But how do you separate the scientific discoveries for, that are beneficial for the skin to those that are just fads? Oh, I think, you know, that that's always tough because the, the internet has made the proliferation of misinformation or bad information, you know, pretty rampant. But when in the scientific community, we look for consensus, we look for re- repeatability in studies. So it's, it's not just as easy as easy as reading an article or a, a blog post, but we spend a lot of time and effort into researching the technologies. And again, as like I said, scientific consensus and repeatability in studies is kind of the gold standards we look for to determine is this truly a beneficial technology or ingredient. What does the future look like for cosmetic chemistry? You know, cosmetic chemistry is getting more and more in-depth into biotechnology, biochemistry. The tough thing there is as we start to talk about cosmetic versus drug products. So will we see more development of more cosmetic drugs? A lot of people have used the term cosmeceutical in the past to kind of talk about a gray area between a cosmetic and a full drug. But I think we're going to see a lot more products that truly have some interesting efficacy, but we're going to have to, you know, also work on ways to discuss them in terms of the, of the regulatory landscape with the FDA. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening deeper within the skin. And especially we talk about sun protection, also ingestibles are something that are, are getting a lot of attention now as well. So beauty from within. Great. We're hearing about that. When you said about biotechnology, the word peptide is a very big word today in skincare. We like to say the biotechnology targeting skin conditions. Can you give a little explanation of what a peptide in skincare means? Sure. Peptides are small peptides anyway, because we can talk about peptides in terms of there's various sizes of, of peptide molecules. But some of these small peptides that we see in a lot of cosmetics are signaling molecules. And they're basically telling, kind of programming the skin, telling the skin what to do. So they can increase collagen and elastin production. So they can stimulate those materials. We can look at different peptides to help reinforce the skin barrier. Barrier. There's a lot of different activities. Basically, there's there's signaling molecules. Thank I gotta, you. I was going to ask you too, just kind of following up. Obviously, the big part of this whole podcast, this whole episode of the podcast, is around myths, and we've discussed a bunch of different myths in the industry. What do you think is the biggest misinformation in the industry? That's <laughs> there's there's so many, um, but I think <laughs> it's mostly. I wouldn't say there's necessarily one myth that I would I would focus on, but the fact that there's such a proliferation of the speed at which these myths travel today. And I see a lot of, unfortunately, some hacks 
for people trying to, you know, maybe make skincare at home or, or do things that are not necessarily safe. So those always concern me when I see a skincare hack when you're using it, for example, say like toothpaste for acne, which is probably not a really great idea, you know, to treat your acne with toothpaste or things. So I think the proliferation of misinformation can be a real challenge for us as a cosmetic industry, because those of us scientists out there don't necessarily, we don't have, we're not on the TikTok or able to necessarily dispel all of that information as it comes out. So I think it's, you have to be careful in what you're researching and, and where you're getting your information from on social media. But we're hoping this podcast will be able to let people hear your message and understand a little more about how cosmetic chemistry is very, very important and how there is a full industry with studies and science, and you do understand exactly what works and what does not work. And the regulations, the regulations, and it's really important that she's going through the FDA regulations, and it is controlled, and that's really important for the consumer to know that it's not just made in your kitchen. There is controls, and you know, good manufacturers respect the controls and the regulations. And preservatives. This is a message that I think you answered, and I thank you for that, because it's very important to know that you have good preservatives in products. Absolutely. Preservative, that is a huge part of ensuring, again, goes back to the FDA says your product has to be safe. And that means ensuring that the product is preserved, especially eye area products are a special area of concern. So we take, we take that very seriously. And I think, you know, it's important, you know, back to, you know, there was the chemical free discussion. I I see preservative free and, you know, that always concerns me as well is, you know, there are products you can preserve by maybe say like hand sanitizer. It is about 70% ethanol. Of course it is self-preserving, but many products, uh, cosmetics you use the ingredients that you're putting in them are actually food for the bacteria and their high levels of water. And so that they make a perfect place for bacteria to grow. So we have to protect them with preservatives. And it's dangerous for people who are immunocompromised, correct? Absolutely. There are actual cases where products have been used by patients, perhaps in hospitals. Uh, There's one contaminated lotion that was used and it caused actually there were, you know, deaths associated with infection due to the contaminated body lotion in immunocompromised patients. You know, someone who may have a very normal functioning immune system may be okay, but we also know that there are many consumers using our cosmetic products. We have to make it safe for the general population. Well, you teach courses, as you said, at the University of Toledo. And I think that there are people who are really interested in cosmetic chemistry, but may not actually know how to get into it. What's your advice to them if they want to get into this side of the industry? Sure. So I think studying, of course, a field like chemistry or biology for undergraduate work is part of the process, but there are programs like the University of Toledo has an undergraduate science program in cosmetic formulation and design. And then the University of Cincinnati also has a master's and uh, I believe the only PhD program in cosmetic science as well. So there are specific fields of study you can get into, but also just studying chemistry or biology. I, I was just a chemistry major when I got into the field and decided to specialize further once I, I got into the field. And I always tell people, too, look for 
of cosmetic chemists out there. You have access to them on LinkedIn and get in touch. I actually had a, a two phone calls today with students interested in getting into the field. I always take those because, you know, as a young chemist myself, I had some people that helped me along the way. So look for the cosmetic chemists out there and don't be afraid to reach out and, and chat with them. Sounds like it's a passion for you. It yeah, is. I, I hope everyone listening to the podcast really understands how much of an expert you are and has that ability to look and research and understand it is a science. And you've, yeah. you know, you've proven that point with this podcast. I absolutely love what I do because I do love chemistry. I'm a, a huge nerd, but I also love cosmetics. I found the perfect career for, for me and I, I really do enjoy it. And, you know, I am very passionate about it. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much science goes into the the cosmetics and personal care products that they use every day. It's a lot different nowadays, as you said, biotechnology, it's advancing very, very fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. The history of our industry is very fascinating and how far we've come in the past 60, 50, 60 years is quite amazing. So if you haven't followed Kelly's Twitter page, you have to follow her. You go to at Kelly Dobos, K-E-L-L-Y-D-O-B-O-S. You have great articles on there that you write yourself, other ones that you retweet, lots of great information on there. I did want to share a tweet that you had actually retweeted from Tara Cohen. I think it's a really good discussion we should have. So she says, how much better would it feel to walk into a store and face a wall full of beauty products that read as useful for hashtag authentic aging instead of anti-aging with a simple shift in language we can gain a boost of confidence and empowerment i absolutely love this what do you think about it kelly i think we should all be embracing the fact that we can age gracefully we can use our, our skincare products to help maintain our skin but i don't think we want to to think about anti-aging aging isn't a bad thing so i like this concept of authentic aging it really spoke to me, especially, you know, as I, I'm getting older and embracing my aging and all the wisdom that comes with it. I really like that term. And I think I'm going to start using that. The industry is so focused on anti-aging for so long. And I see a lot more effort in companies too, in, in being authentic in their advertising, not using filters, not using airbrushing. And I think that's really important for us. And we are authentic. We're real. And we have to remember, we can do things to age gracefully and we're not against aging. We just want to do it healthy. We want to be healthy and happy and glowing. Look good in any age. That's what you want. Healthy skin at any age. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel more confident now than I did in my 20s. I like this authentic aging. Let's keep doing this. I think this is something that needs to get out there more. So hashtag authentic aging, definitely a plus. Well, we could sense your passion. And again, we brought you on here, obviously, because, you know, you actually had a part of the article about myths in the industry, and you had laid out a lot of these myths we found fascinating. And right now, I know that you write a bunch of articles, which I said earlier in the show. So do we have anything that's coming out, any news that you want to uh, share with everyone? Everybody to look forward to in the future. I'll be uh, publishing an article on the natural colors that are available for use in cosmetics. I'll be coming out in the fall, I believe that's September of this year, in a publication called Cosmetics and Toiletries. But you can also see my work. I do quotes for Allure magazine. I help them speak about the technology behind new innovations and with New Beauty magazine as well. You can always find little snippets from me in there. We'll be looking. We'll be looking, right? Thank you so much for for joining us today. We really appreciate it and uh, look forward to seeing more articles and reading more articles from you soon. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you guys today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly. We learned a lot today. Thank you again for me too. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. 
A big thank you to Kelly for joining us today. Lots of fascinating information. I've learned a lot here. Uh, what's the biggest take that you both got from our interview with Kelly? I really appreciated the fact that she was able to explain how important preservatives are in products. We hear a lot of people looking onto the label and asking many, many questions. So she was able to answer a lot of those questions and making sure a product is safe is number one. I think confirming what we were really work really hard here in Lyra, that we're doing things right, that we're respecting regulations, that we're trying to keep our products and our concepts aligned with the right way. To have someone that has no relationship to Lyra, just to go and, and listen to what her expertise is and know, wait a minute, we're doing it pretty right. We're on the mark. It just we confirm for me that we're, you know, we're doing a good job. And I hope it really let people know there is a process. There's a yeah. process yep. to make sure that by the time that product gets to the consumer, it has been checked, double checked, and it's a safe product. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel better using the products too and knowing why certain preservatives are added in there. You're not just putting something on your face and wondering if I leave it on my counter for a couple months, is it still going to be good or am I going to get a bacteria on my face? That's something I learned today and I think it's very important to really get across. Well, it's crazy because... The key thing that came out of it for me is chemical. We talked about the chemical. Everything has chemicals mm -hmm. in it. There's not one thing that doesn't have a chemical. Water is a chemical. And that's what she said. And I thought, yeah, but it simplifies it. Everything's a chemical, but using the right chemical. Correct. Yes. The right chemical makes the difference. And there's years of study involved. And I'm very happy that Kelly was able to get that message out. I completely agree with you. And you could follow Kelly on her Twitter page at Kelly Dobos, K-E-L-L-Y-D-O-B-O-S. She's a great follow on Twitter. And make sure to follow Lyra Clinical as well at Lyra Clinical on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And if you have any questions, for Francine and Metaxi, you can email them at skindeathconvo at lyraclinical.com. That's skindeathconvo at lyraclinical.com. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. Feel free to give us a rating as well. Thank you all so much for listening. Taxi Francine, thank you too. Thank, thank you, you, Anna. Talk to you soon.